in 2002, a 10-year-old boy discovered an ancient treasure. Because you see, at his school, in the library, behind the checkout desk was a painting, beautiful painting. And the boy was captivated by it. Now, this painting had been in the library for 70 years, so it was old. But this little 10-year-old boy loved this painting, so much so that one day he went home and told his dad about it. His dad was so captured by his son's description that he decided he wanted to see the painting. So one day he went to the school. Went in the library, there sits the painting, dark, dingy, not taken very good care of. But he began to understand why the picture captured his son, because it was marvelous. So the dad decided to look into the painting just a little bit further, and he discovered that the painting was actually a masterpiece by a man named Walter Crane. You see, Walter Crane was an English artist and storybook illustrator that lived in the late 19th and early 20th centuries. He was well known in England. And upon further discovery, it was, dis it was found out that this painting was worth well over a million dollars. Yet it had sat in a school library for 70 years, not dusted, not cared for, yet just being there. This story kind of reminds me of a couple of television shows that you've probably seen. I've, I know I've seen them. <clears throat> One is called uh, Antique Roadshow. In that show, people take items that they find. Let's say grandmother's bowl that came over the ocean from across the pond when she migrated, or whatever you want to call that word, to America. <laughs> it ain't migrated. It ain't the right word. But she came from there to here. Okay. <laughs> But they discovered this bowl. That worked. That's, that's Alabama. She was over yonder, and now she's over here. And so, <laughs> but they took this bowl and got it appraised. This bowl ended up being worth over $2,000. Oh, my goodness. Or American pickers go out, and you've seen this show, and they go discover all kinds of stuff, and they may discover a motorcycle that was long thought to be non-existent, but it ends up being worth $60,000 kind of makes me, maybe you, want to go to your house or mom and dad's house or grandmother's house and dig through the garage or dig through the shelves and see if you can't find that bowl. Let me tell you something, though. If you find that bowl and it says Tupperware Rubbermaid on the bottom, it ain't worth very much, so don't even try. The truth is, you may not have an ancient treasure in your cabinet, in your cupboard, or in your garage. You may not have a priceless painting hanging on your wall at home. But each of us, you and I, have an invaluable ancient treasure that's worth more than all the money, power, and prestige that this world can give us. You might keep it on your bookshelf. You might keep it on your nightstand next to your bed. It's quite possibly right beside you or in your lap right now.
called a Bible. Take yours out and hold it up for me. This is our Bible. Doesn't matter if it's paperback or leather. You'll know something? Really doesn't matter if it's an app on your phone or if it's on a tablet. Don't matter. Doesn't matter if it's the King James Version or any other number of translations that are more modern. Because your Bible, the Bible, is a priceless ancient treasure. So I'm going to ask you to take your treasure and open to the book of John, chapter 1, and stand with me as we read this morning. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Father, as we spend these next few moments together talking about this treasure that you have given to us, may you impart to us wisdom from on high. And may what you want to be said, be said. May what you want to be heard, be heard. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The word Bible is a Greek word. It means book. It was a common word for all the written documents of the time, but it soon came to mean and to refer to the book. This book that you and I have is so special, is so revered. And why? Because it is authored by God himself. The Apostle Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.16 that all scripture is inspired. Now we know the word inspired. In fact, we might use it to refer to a, a great work of art or a piece of literature. But when Paul uses the word inspired, he is saying that it is God-breathed. The words on those thin pages that you and I have, the words on those pages of this treasure are the very words of God. They are his message breathed out and written down for us. So this morning, I want to take just a few minutes and talk about this song we just sang, Ancient Words. I want to break down each of the verses in the chorus. And hopefully, maybe we'll all discover a little something about the Word of God. Or at the very least, we will be reminded of what it truly is. Verse 1 of the song says, Holy words, long preserved, for our walk in this world. They resound with God's own heart. Oh, let the ancient words impart. At no better place in Scripture do we see this as we do in the book of Exodus when God wrote down ten simple commandments on the top of Mount Sinai. Those stone tablets contained the words written by God. Man did not write them. God reached down from heaven and wrote them himself in his own hand. And they resound with the markings of the heart of our Creator. And these ancient words still have impact today. 
We see this in the not-too-distant past here in our own state. When we saw how a conflict over a monument of those very words, those Ten Commandments, that were in a courthouse, testified to the power of those words. You see, no other statue would have stirred so many people up and gotten people's hearts all twist-turned around. No other words would have fostered such devotion or such frustration. No other words have displayed that kind of power. But the real power in those words, those ancient words, is seen in the way that they have shaped humanity throughout history. Because from the deepest part of the Amazon jungle to the great plains of Africa, from the biggest cities you can think of to the smallest towns like Hatchachubby, Alabama, where I'm from, that's about that big, people measure right and wrong based on these ancient words. Our very societal structure is held together by a shared understanding of what these words teach about right and wrong. Now, a sociologist may say that understanding uh, of these words, it comes from a, from a human nature and a built-in desire to survive and to prosper. But we know the truth. We hold murderers accountable. We punish thieves we show respect and expect it to be shown in return because God revealed these ancient truths to us. And although we don't always live up to these high standards, our basic sense of right and wrong is linked directly to the words that we find on those two stone tablets. Now verse 2 of our, of our song says, Words of life, words of hope, give us strength, help us cope. In this world where e'er we roam, ancient words will guide us home. To find meaning in this verse, we need to look no farther than the life of the Apostle Paul. He was a belated eyewitness to the resurrected Jesus and a chosen spokesman for God. He wrote the largest part of what we call the New Testament. And he wrote it with confidence knowing that the words he was writing were given by the very Spirit of God. Paul knew how precious God's message was to people. His words were just part of an ongoing message that began with those two stone tablets that we talked about on Mount Sinai. And to be a vessel of those words, to hold them, to read them, to share them, there was and is no greater mission in life. In fact, even while Paul was in prison, he wrote to Timothy again. And he told Timothy, hey dude, bring me my coat. But that's not all he asked for. He asked for the parchments. What in the world is he asking for? In other words, he was saying, Timothy, don't forget my Bible. Don't forget my scriptures. Because I need to read God's words of hope. I need to hear God's promises. I need to be reminded of God's faithfulness and I need to see his love on paper and in print. You see, Paul understood the value of the word of God. He knew the hope. He knew the encouragement. He knew the strength that those words provide for daily life. And he craved 
those things. So I can't help but wonder, how about you? As I was studying this, how about me? I asked that a lot this past week or two. Are the ancient words of the Bible that valuable to you and I personally? Do they really mean something? Do we, like Paul, have a burning desire to not only read God's word, but to hear those promises, to be reminded of God's faithfulness, and to see with our own eyes God's love in print? Or do those ancient words of the Bible... um, even though we would say they're valuable, do, they, do we really think they're relevant and necessary to life? Or is that just something other people do? You might, as many people, see them as just something you pull out when you have a great need. As long as everything's good, I got it, God. I'm all perfectly fine and dandy. You just take care of everybody else, I'm good. But the minute something bad happens, Pull out that Bible. All the answers to my problems are in here. All the answers to everything are in here, not just your problems. Because it's meant for all of our life. The Apostle Paul wasn't like this. He, in my opinion, is one of the best examples of us to follow with regards to the Bible because he saw those ancient words as a source of spiritual nourishment. He saw them as necessary as milk is to a newborn baby. We need this in our lives. Paul, the great apostle, craved what the Bible did inside of him and what God taught him. These same words that Paul longed for, even as he saw his death coming, are the same words that you and I have access to. And I want to remind you, they are necessary for the Christian walk. You cannot be all God wants you to be without spending time in his words. It is not possible. And even though these words were written so long ago, they really are relevant today. They're just as relevant as they were when Penn first touched parchment all those years ago. Now verse 3 of our song says, Holy words of our faith handed down to this age came to us Through sacrifice, oh, heed the faithful words of Christ. You know, we often try to break up this treasure, our Bible, into Old Testament, New Testament. Words before Jesus, words after Jesus. Because it's Old Testament, it don't matter anymore. We don't need to read that. Because it's New Testament, it's all about Jesus, and this is all we need to spend our time on. The fact remains, though, that the the ancient words of the Bible, from beginning to end, Genesis to Revelation, all point to one event in human history. And that is the presence of God in flesh and blood through Jesus Christ. The Christ is wound all through the words of the Bible. It is not just a Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John thing. It is everywhere. It is all throughout it. Jesus called 
normal men like Matthew the tax collector and John the fisherman, men who were average at best, were called to become the greatest messengers that the world has ever known. Men who carried the good news of Jesus to a lost world. Men who began doing that orally, but eventually decided that they were important enough to write them down for all the ages. The Gospels that begin our New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are not fables. They are not exaggerated accounts written hundreds of years after Jesus walked on the earth. They are ancient words written by eyewitnesses who heard Jesus say, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They saw him bring sanity to a demon-possessed man and give sight to a man who was born blind. And they were the ones that saw Lazarus get up out of the grave. These are the people that wrote the words down for us. They even saw Jesus appear behind, behind locked doors after the resurrection. He didn't come up and knock, walk in. He just showed up. And these people that wrote these ancient words saw it. What in the world would we do if Jesus popped up right there? <laughs> you know, they wrote it down so that we could know it happened. It's true. It's meant for me and you. <clears throat> you know, thousands of books have been written about Jesus. Some are good. Some are not so good. But none of the words of those books were written by the people who looked into Jesus' eyes and touched his hands and his side and heard his voice and watched his love. These ancient words of the Gospels come from the direct testimony of those who were with him. They saw it. And you and I get to read those accounts with full confidence that they're right. They're accurate. We're not reading something that went through 15,000 people before it got wrote down. It was close. These are the words that people have treasured throughout history. Some folks have treasured them so much that they've given their lives for them. <clears throat> An example of this would be Bishop Felix. Now, Bishop Felix served the Lord uh, during the reign of Diocletian. Diocletian was the emperor of Rome in 303 AD. Diocletian didn't like Christians. He didn't like anything about them. Matter of fact, he had a belly full of them. So he decided he was going to put an end to them. And he was going to start by getting rid of what they called the holy writings, the Bible, the scriptures. <clears throat> all Christian writings, all Christian scripture was to be given in to the authorities to be destroyed. But Bishop Felix said no. Just say no. And that's what he did. He refused to do what the law said. And as a result, he was arrested and he was sent to Rome. And history records that on August the 30th, 303 A.D., Bishop Felix 
and I quote, with pious obstinance laid down his life rather than surrender his gospels. So once again, I ask, how about you? How about me? Are we willing to lay down our life for the word of God? Oh, Don, we live in America. That's never gonna happen. That's never happened, never gonna happen. Well, guess what? Hadn't happened yet. But don't be surprised if it does one day. Because if you're living in the same world I am, you ought to be able to see it coming. The Bible is no ordinary book. It is an ancient treasure. So precious that men and women have given their lives so that you and I could not only own as many copies as we want, and us minister boys usually have a bunch of them, but we can read it as often as we want in any location that we want for the most part, at least as far as where my world lives. But even with that thought in mind, there are places and people in the world that don't have that freedom today. They're threatened with death if they even own one, much less quote it. And many really have paid the ultimate price. Why? Because they see those ancient words and their author as their source of hope. There is no hope outside of that. And that's what they believe. And so they're willing to die for it. So I ask you today, does the word of God give you that kind of hope? And I would encourage you, before you go home and toss it, place it, put it, throw it, whatever you do with it, into its regular spot so that it sits till it comes back next week, that you think about the cost that's been paid by literally thousands of people so that you and I have the freedom and the privilege to own read, study, and apply these ancient words to our life. The fourth verse of our song, I'm sorry, it's stuck in my throat and it won't come out. (laughs) We once again see the words, holy words long preserved for our walk in this world. They resound with God's own heart. Oh, let the ancient words impart. These ancient words are mass produced today. The Bible is the most often purchased book ever. Always has been, and the rate it's going, it always will be. And so they're produced heavily. They are bound with high-speed machines and marketed everywhere from Walmart to Jim Bob's local bait and fish shop. (laughs) You can get them just about anywhere you want to. They appear on cards. They appear on bumper stickers. They appear on PowerPoint presentations. They appear on websites. It is extremely easy to find the words of God, these ancient words in today's world. But it hasn't always been that way. In ancient times, before the print and press thing, The Bible was copied um, by very skillfully trained men called scribes. And you might call them uh, Xerox generation one. (laughs) But it was real slow. 
in spite of how slow you think a copier is today, this was a snail's pace. And because the process took so long for a scribe to, to copy the word of God, what was copied literally was worth its weight in gold. It was that valuable. These scribes were very dedicated to the process <clears throat> and they worked diligently to assure that the copies were exact duplicates of the original. And I could read you a, a large list of rules and regulations that they had to follow in order to do it, anywhere from taking a bath and putting on fresh underwear before they wrote, uh, then they, that's really strange, but it's true. <laughs> Every time they wrote the word God, they had to get a fresh blot of ink. Every time. They couldn't just keep writing, they had to stop and write with fresh ink. And they were so particular in their process that they didn't copy sentence to sentence like you and I would think they might do, like you and I probably do today. They didn't even copy word to word. They copied letter to letter to ensure the accuracy of what they were writing. And the value of their commitment to excellence can be seen in Jesus' statement in Luke 16 where he said, there's a greater chance of heaven and earth passing away than for one of the smallest strokes of a pen, which in our case would be a sentence or a comma, to be eradicated from the scriptures. That's how close it is. That's how diligently scribes worked to make the copy. And they did this because God's intention God's plan, God's way is that every part of the ancient words is valuable and important and must be right. And the scribes took this to heart. If there were 172 words on the original document, there were 172 words on the copy. <clears throat> there are 78,064 letters in the book of Genesis. And the scribes knew that. They knew how many times a single letter appeared in a book. <laughs> they even knew the letter that marked the very center of the book. And the test, these tests had to be done so that they could match exactly copy to original. They had all these measurements to make sure when I get to this point, this is where I'm supposed to be. And if I'm not here, something in the previous is wrong. Now, if something was wrong, it gets a lot of fun now. You remember how long I told you it takes a long time to write this? If they get to that point, they run the test and it's wrong, guess what they had to do? A copy that might have taken weeks or months to write was destroyed. And they started over from the beginning. They didn't use liquid paper or a tape strip or just erase it and write it. They started over from the very beginning in the same process of letter to letter, period to period, comma to comma, for absolute perfection. Great care was taken by the scribes to ensure that what you and I have today, this ancient words, this ancient treasure, is accurate. And how do we know that to be true? Well, there was a discovery in 1947 that is at least one example of how we know this to be true. You know what happened in 1947? Thank you. The Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered. 
My wife and I and a few other of our friends here actually saw that spot in 2013 when we were over there. It's absolutely amazing. Um, but the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered. And up until that time, the oldest manuscripts uh, of the Old Testament that we had dated back to about 900 AD. When the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered, they went back a thousand years before that. So we now have the oldest writings that there are. And when they took those writings of the Dead Sea Scrolls that were a thousand years older and they compared them to the words of Isaiah that we have right now in our hands, one word was different. One word in a thousand years. Y'all know the little game where you stand in a circle and you whisper something in someone's ear and you let it go around and see, and it ain't even close by there. In a thousand years, one word was different. My goodness, the value. Not only for them, but the value that tells us how important the Word of God is. And so I ask, how important is the Word of God to you? Do you take it at face value when you apply it to your life? Do you dig deep to know and understand each word, each period, the meaning of every part of the Scripture, every word, every phrase? Do you seek to, to grasp it so that your life is changed into who God has created you to be, to make you more like our Savior? Or do you, like many people, just pick and choose the parts of the Bible you like that fit what you need for that moment? Oh, the Bible says this. Huh, out of context. Oh, but it says this. Hmm. We need to take the Bible at its word. Nothing added, nothing taken away. Go deep. Seek to apply it. Make it valuable in our lives. Our song has a chorus in it. <clears throat> Ancient words ever true, changing me and changing you. We have come with open hearts. Oh, let the ancient words impart. There is no more carefully studied ancient book in all of history. And none other has such a well-established record. There are only 643 copies of Homer's Iliad. You may have heard of Homer. I had, not somebody I've studied. But Homer was a Greek author that lived somewhere between the 12th and 8th centuries B.C. That's before Jesus, okay? And there's 643 copies of something he wrote called the Iliad. By contrast, there are over 15,000 ancient copies of the New Testament Scripture. Each of those has been carefully studied, tested, compared, and verified, all to make sure that those ancient words you and I hold in our hand today represent as accurately as possible the very words that God expressed through the original author's writings. What you and I have is not merely a history book. It is not merely a book of great stories. It truly is an ancient treasure. But the, but the translation of the Bible to English in the scope of time is a fairly new 
thing. Fairly new accomplishment. You and I can't imagine not having a Bible in English. Now, I'm 53 years old and I've never, never not had that. Bob's 102 and he's never had that. So <laughs> you know, <laughs> I can do that because Bob loves me. <laughs> but we've never known that. We've never known not having a Bible in English. There are more Bibles in the English language than any other language. But until 1536, just 481 years ago, there were no Bibles in English. All the Bibles were in Latin. And in fact, the Holy Roman Catholic Church didn't want it translated into English. They wanted it to stay in Latin. The only reason I can figure is so that they could control people and have power over people. And basically, though they'd say they didn't really desire to keep the word of God from people, but actions speak louder than words, don't they? That was their actions, and that's what they were saying. All that ended with the work of a man named William Tyndale. In that same year, 1536, he produced the first Bible in English. Once he completed that translation into English, he said this, I call upon God to record against the day we shall appear before our Lord Jesus that I never altered one syllable of God's word against my conscience, nor would do this day if all that is in the earth, whether it be honor, pleasure, or riches, might be given me. What he's saying is, I didn't change a thing. I translated it word for word, sentence for sentence, phrase for phrase, and I didn't change anything because there's nothing in the world that is more valuable than getting God's word right because of the impact it has on my life and lives of other people. Now, you might think that Tyndale was celebrated, but this is a great accomplishment. 1,536 years, and we've never had a Bible in English, and now we got one. Woo-hoo! That's not what happened. Tyndale was burned at the stake for making God's word available to the masses. Those pretty gold and silver edged pages of your Bible and my Bible, they've been purchased by the blood of people like the prophet Isaiah, Matthew the apostle, Paul the evangelist, Felix the shepherd, and William Tyndale the translator, as well as hundreds of thousands of other people who have worked to the point of giving their lives to enlighten this world to the ancient words of our Creator and our Savior. The Bible has been translated into over 200 languages. It's served to overthrow ruthless governments. It has sparked mass migrations across the oceans. And more than once, it has changed the course of history. Many people have tried to destroy it, to to get rid of it, but it has outlasted all of its opposition. It is the eternal word of God. It is the greatest story ever told. It is the ancient treasure we all possess, and it is the message of hope that grounds our lives. It's the Bible like maybe you've never seen before, a precious treasure just waiting for you and I to dust it off, open it up, read it, 
and apply it. But those ancient words were not just spoken to one person at one time in history. They were spoken to all people for all time. They were spoken to us to read, to learn, and to proclaim. And they not only gave us the foundation of the ways of God, but they also announced the coming of the Messiah. And they did this 700 years before he came. The announcement, they announced his suffering. They announced his crucifixion on the cross. They announced the spear in his side. They announced his death as an ultimate sacrifice. And they announced his resurrection for our salvation. The words in your Bible and my Bible that we hold right now may have been printed yesterday. I don't know. Recently, or even the last few years. But even then, there's still the ancient words of God's spokesman imparted to you and imparted to me so that our lives and our world might be forever changed. So the challenge today is this. <clears throat> We need to ask and answer these questions. What does the way I view the ancient words of God say about my view of God himself? Are they true? Do they change me? Do I go to them, as the song says, with an open heart? allowing them to impart the very character of God into my life. A.W. Tozer put it this way. He said, whatever keeps me from my Bible is my enemy, however harmless it may appear to be. Another saying says, this book will keep me from sin, or sin will keep me from this book. May the word of God be all that he wants it to be in your life and my life, both now and forevermore. Ancient words ever true, changing me and changing you. We have come with open hearts Oh, let the ancient words impart Ancient words ever true Changing me and changing you We have come with open hearts Oh, let the ancient words impart God, your words are ancient. They are precious. They have cost more lives than we can ever know. And we ask today that those same words, those ancient words, might be refreshed and renewed in our lives today and impart the wisdom and the character 
of you, our creator, our savior, into us this day. Through the precious blood of Christ, I pray. Amen.